Coming up on this week's show, we've got Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 155 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And with me, as always, is my co-host and fabulous husband, Will Knaus. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a fantastic week filled with lots of great books, lots of reading. Um, We are away. Indeed. (laughs) We're away from our telephone right now. (laughs) 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 It's a nice answering machine blast from the past. Anyway, at at this very moment, we are in Florida. Uh, we're at the Dream Spinner Press Author Conference, so we've got lots of learning to shove into our little heads. Uh, after we finish that, we are going to spend a couple of days romping and roaming around Disney. Yeah, for sure. It's been a couple of years since we've been to Disney World. And uh, yeah, we're going to check out Avatar and take a little visit to Pandora and go see the Frozen show and... See what else we can get up to uh, in the Magic Kingdom for two days. Hopefully not wear ourselves completely out. That would be kind of part of the point, I think. Mm -hmm. But I am looking forward to the learning at the Dream Spinner Conference. Uh, And it's always great to get together with all of our author friends. Uh, It's kind of a double shot this year because we do Dream Spinner and then like two weeks later we're at GRL. So it's uh, a lot of fun in the fall. Fun in the fall. That That should be our theme. What's our theme? Boy, coming up with a theme at the last minute (laughs) is a little on the crazy side. So, (laughs) join us for fun in the fall, won't you? In the Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the schoolteacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Finn Sterling, wherever you buy books. Now, before we get to this week's book reviews, we wanted to quickly mention that we watched a movie not too recently called The Pass. Um, it stars Russell Tovey and Arinze Keane, and it came out in 2016, uh, and it's based on a play which is sort of obvious when you watch the film. The story is like very uh, succinctly succinctly and distinctly divided into three separate acts. Mm -hmm. Act one follows our, essentially our two heroes, Jason and Aday. They're two two young guys. Uh, They're members of a football club and they're hanging out in their hotel room on the night before a big game. A game, as it turns out, it's going to decide their entire future careers. Uh, So there's horseplay and uh, zaniness. uh, And they also share a kiss that night. 
Then the story sort of fast forwards to five years later. Um, we find out Jason uh, has made it to the big time. Uh, he's a very successful, very popular footballer. Uh, and the scene takes place in his hotel room and his attempts to get a sex tape made. Because um, <laughs> how often does it happen that you want to have the sex tape made? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's got problems. Um, they made all it's cracked up to be. Uh, then we sort of fast forward another five years when we're in another hotel room. And Jason is sort of, his career is kind of on a downward slide. And he's called up his old friend a day, seemingly to reminisce and maybe get him to help him uh, rehab a property he has on the seashore. Um but uh, as the evening progresses, we learn um, sort of about hopes that have been realized, dreams that have been dashed, that kind of thing. Um, this is really Russell Tovey's show. Um, mm-hmm. He he did the play in London, uh, and he's essentially the star of this movie. Um, what did you think? It is the Russell Tovey show, and I loved it actually for that reason. Uh, it's amazing to see him really get to run through a, a, a complete array of emotions from the kind of devil-may-care younger footballer that he is in the first act to a more serious trying to keep his image together by actually making this set, this sex tape. And then kind of off the rails in in the final act. Uh, and frankly, he's shirtless through most of it, too. So that's nothing to really, you know, uh, not appreciate. Uh, I found the story itself to be uh, a little heartbreaking because you've essentially got an athlete here who hasn't been able to embrace his true self ever uh, through his career, I think. And that weighs on him more and more as the years go on. Uh, whereas a day has made peace with himself uh, and essentially made peace with what happened in that game 10 years before uh, the final act plays out and has found a life that he is, uh, I believe he was happy and satisfied with the life that he had uh, in that final segment. So it's really, it was really a good look at, uh, you know, the ramifications of not being your true self. And I, was, I really liked how everything came together in the third act, too, with things that you didn't realize, of course, happened 10 years before. Um, it's a little heartbreaking, um, extremely realistic, and, and such, like I said, it, it's a tour de force for Russell Tovey. So I think, you know, Russell fans should certainly watch it. Yeah. So if you're in the mood for... Uh, uh... It's not a romance. Well, yeah. Let's say okay. that first. It, it's not... Yeah, it's not you know happy-go-lucky romance rom-com kind of a thing it's actually yeah it's it's a hard drama so yeah that's a good way to put it yeah but it's satisfying in the long run uh for sure anyway we both enjoyed it we hope you will take a few moments to check out the pass yes streaming on i believe it was amazon now i've picked up a couple books uh i I, i've been on a reading tear lately i don't know quite how that happened but i did uh, first thing I picked up was Barrel Proof by Layla Rainey. Uh, I did the narr- the audiobook, which is also narrated by Tristan James, who has done all of the Irish and whiskey books. This is book three in that series. 
that I really had to go back and pick up after I read the first of the Trouble Brewing series a few weeks back because I needed to finish this. And I will say, A, I know it's a romance, so I know how it's it, it needs its happy ending. And I had the spoiler material from reading the first in the Trouble Brewing series. And yet, as I'm reading this, I'm like, holy crap, Layla Rainey, what are you doing? <laughs> this book is so super stressful. She just pushes all of those romantic suspense buttons so very well here. It's like, It was just masterful. This book, throughout Irish and Whiskey, there's always been this underlying storyline happening of who killed Aiden's uh, partner and his husband. Uh, and th those things happened off page before the beginning of the first book. And finding out how that went down has been the underlying theme going on here. And it's been known that the evil dude, Raynaud, has pretty much been pulling the strings behind that. He was behind the the plot that went down in book one. Uh, he was the, His stuff was the subplot in book two, and he's back front and center in this book, which opens with Aiden finding out how much Jamie actually knows about everything that went down with his husband and his partner. Um Jamie is, of course, the man that Aiden has been falling for in the previous two books, and they've been trying to figure out how to have a life together while also being FBI partners, which is kind of a no-no. Uh, Aiden's also found out that Mel, who's his best friend and belongs in his family because she's dating his brother and is also his boss at the FBI, she knows a lot of stuff, too, and they've both been keeping him in the dark, which does not play really well. But that anger doesn't get to, to simmer too long because Reno turns up in San Francisco to really start to put the final parts of his big master plan into effect, which is to really decimate the worldwide economy. He he essentially is a is a is a pissed off former tech guy who is looking for his revenge, and he is willing to do whatever it takes to bring down the people he believes have wronged him. Uh, people turn up in this book from previous books in in various roles. Uh, you also get a good look at uh, Dominic and, uh, ooh, I didn't write this name down and I'm forgetting it, sorry. It's the two guys who form the basis of the Trouble Brewing series. You get a good look at both of them in this book, so it's a good setup into that series if you didn't read them out of, out of order like I, <laughs> like I did. Um, so much tension here, so much... Of, of Jamie and Aiden trying to keep each other safe and do their jobs and, and realize that if they're going to stay FBI partners, that this is going to be very difficult because you have such different priorities, of course, if you're trying to do your job with your partner as opposed to trying to keep your partner safe in that job and it can impact your choices. Again, I just, my mind is so blown over how Layla crafted not just this book, which is so tense, but how she really brought everything through the trilogy. I mean, I think as a writer, I'm going to probably dig more into these books to kind of analyze them a little bit more now that I can separate myself from being the reader and now looking at them from an author point of view. Uh, if you have not picked up these Irish and whiskey books and romantic suspense is your thing, you definitely need to pick up all three from Layla Rainey. And Tristan James does a tremendous job across the series uh, as the narrator. He, uh, I particularly like the 
the nuances that he does on a- Aiden's Irish accent because it really, how much Irish he's speaking relates directly to either how stressed he is potentially in a situation or how much he's swooning over Jamie. Um, that that Irish will just kind of pop out to various degrees and it's really awesome uh, how he weaves that in to match what's going on in the book. So yeah, Barrel Proof by Layla Rainey, Irish and Whiskey series, check those out. The other book that I went through this week uh, is actually one that Will reviewed back at episode 128. It's called Game Point by MJOJ. It is book 45 in the Dreamspun Desires series. Uh, that cover is probably recognizable to some folks from previously. Uh, this is a great enemies to friends to lovers story. Uh, we've got uh, party boy Quinn Valenzuela, uh, who finds out all of a sudden while he's partying somewhere over in Europe that his beloved grandfather has passed away uh, rather suddenly and has left him the Sparta Athletics Empire. Think Nike, think Reebok, think something like that, that this young man has just had handed to him on a silver platter, uh, which does not sit well uh, with the company's COO, Porter Davis, who has really been having the the day-to-day aspects of the company on his shoulders for the past several years, working alongside uh, Quinn's mom, uh, Marisol. Uh, he's not too happy that the party boy has obtained the keys to the empire and will now be his boss when he has no other experience uh, other than being party boy. Uh, Quinn's not really sure he wants it either, but he's also realized that he might be a little tired of the party boy existence and it might be time to at least, you know, put on his big boy pants and, and maybe stay at home and be near his family a little bit more now and actually step up and start to have a career. Um, I liked everybody's arcs in this book, really watching how Quinn goes from being this partier to a grown-up over the course of the story was really quite something. And for him to realize kind of the, that he could settle down and have a relationship and no longer just kind of move from thing to thing to thing. Uh, For Porter, he's been all about his career. He's a former tennis pro, uh, former pro tennis player rather, uh, who had an injury that took him out of the game and then he got he went down the business path. He's always been now so focused on business, he's never really let himself have a relationship. The issue that these two have, once they figure out they, they can be friends and Porter is understanding that Quinn actually wants to learn how to run the business, is they kind of become friends with benefits, And it takes them a long time to kind of realize that each of them wants to be more than friends, but they can't figure out how to say it. And that is really kind of the the difficulty that lurks in this book for the two of them. Because when it's time to move from that final step from friends to lovers, it's like how to make that leap without getting hurt along the way. Uh, I've become, you know, I love MJ's Dreamspun books. And, and this one was no disappointment. I could see why you loved it so much back when you reviewed it. And I also t- totally adored it. So Game Point by MJ O'Shea, number 45 in the Dreamspun Desires uh, series. Now, if any of these books sound good to you, all you have to do is go to the show notes page. Why? Because we've got links. Loads and loads of links. <laughs> if you use the links on our show notes page... 
Um, with the, we do use affiliate links. Um, if you use them, uh, we get a couple of extra pennies in our pockets to help keep this show running. Keep the lights on uh, and another week of great book reviews. Indeed. Yes. Well, we also have our Patreon page. If you're interested in supporting us through Patreon, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. There you can learn about um, some of the bonuses that we offer uh, when you pledge at certain levels, uh, including um, personalized thank yous we send out. Uh, we also do an extra bonus episode every month. So if that sounds good, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast uh, and you can learn more there. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So super excited for this week's interview. Uh, Sarah Wendell is the co-founder of the blog Smart Bitches Trashy Books and the co-host of its companion podcast, uh, which has been on our subscription list for quite some time. Uh, Sarah actually calls herself the mastermind. Uh, I love the fact that her email signature calls her the mastermind. Um, What a great job title to have. Uh, So she's been looking at romance and essentially covering romance since 2005. So she's she's been around a while. She's also a, a novelist, having done Lighting the Flames, a Hanukkah story, which she will be happy to tell you that she did because there were not enough Hanukkah stories out there amongst all of the holiday stories. She's done nonfiction, too, with everything I know about love I learned from romance novels. And possibly my favorite title ever, Beyond Heaving Bosoms, The Smart Bitch's Guide to Romance Novels. Uh, I'm excited to have her here because this is going to be a nice uh, look at romance from somebody who's been covering it for a very long time. Shall we? Yes. Welcome, Sarah. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So have we, quite honestly. (laughs) Yay! Now, you got started 2005 with Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Yes, back in the dark ages. Back in the dark ages. Before Tumblr, before Twitter. Oh, it was before before Tumblr even, yeah. Well, now I have to fact check myself. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. 2005 is back there. 2007 was uh, was Tumblr, yeah. Wow. Oh, dude. So I'm old. Hi, good morning. (laughs) What got you started to build this robust community that you've got now? Uh, I never expected it to be what it is now. And every day I'm like incredibly just shocked and grateful that there are people around the world who want to hang out with me and talk about romance. That's amazing. Um, I taught myself HTML in 1997 when I was graduating college because I didn't want to write another English paper. And so I went to the English department and was like, tell you what, I'll learn HTML and then I'll build the English department website and then I don't have to write a term paper. And they were all like, that sounds great. And I was like, great, I don't have to write a term paper. And then I learned to code and I was like, oh, I should have written a paper. This is way hard. <laughs> and this was like back in the days of, um, Oh my God, this site was so, so ugly. Like there was a little thing in the corner and then there was a title and then there was a menu down the side and then there was just, it was so very basic. I mean, it was late nineties. 
But I graduated with this nice knowledge of how to code things, started my own online journal because this was before blogging software. I don't think blogging was a word yet. Yeah. And it, that is as pretentious as it sounds, very long form, deep navel gazing. I ended up finding blogging software, which was great because they would code your archives for you and date everything. It was like magic. And that was all, um, I don't even remember what, what language that was. It wasn't HTML. It was, I think it was more Java maybe. I don't remember, but it was way beyond my understanding. So I was like, I'll just install this and let it do all the work. Yay. Um, I ended up meeting Candy, who co-founded the site with me in 2005 through my personal weblog where I was writing about like making my own cat food because I didn't have children back then. So I had all this time and I, uh, I made my own cat food. I'm that person. <laughs> so she and I started emailing about uh, how much we loved romance and how much we were tired of people giving us crap for it. And I don't remember which one of us said it, but we were like, we should just start a review blog. Okay, sure. What's, what are we going to call it? I don't know. How about smart bitches who love trashy books? And I was like, okay, that, that domain is like totally available. So let's just do that. <laughs> And I really didn't think anyone was going to read it. I thought it was going to be me and my husband and Candy and one of her friends. And it would be like four total people. Um, and I, as, I, as I've said many times, I drastically underestimated two very important things. One, uh, how often romance readers feel isolated and that they don't have anyone to talk to. I mean, even last week, um, I was on an NPR show called one, The 1A and somebody left them a message about how they don't really think romance is that popular simply because they feel like it's taboo and they never see anybody reading it. And I was like, okay, first of all, you should totally read it. Second of all, contact me for Rex. And third, I promise we're all reading it. We just don't talk about it in public because we get crap for it. I underestimated how many people there are, and there still are, who don't talk about it to friends that, that they love the genre. I also underestimated how often authors Google their own names. <laughs> and that was the source of a lot of our viral project, uh, viral traffic. Like, what did you, I mean, did you see what they said? Uh, yeah, I still get that too. <laughs> I did not expect it to turn into what it has become, but I am enormously thankful every day that people come hang out and talk about books with me. Because mm -hmm. what what better thing is there to spend the day talking about books? Yeah, totally. Seriously, <laughs> like seriously, it's like my whole job, and I'm like, wow, this is my job. This is amazing. I love it. <laughs> Sarah, can you give us an idea for, for any of our listeners who haven't visited your site before? What what can they expect when they log on to uh, Smart Bitches Trashy Books? So, the, original, the original design of the website was like Pepto-Bismol pink because we wanted to make it very clear just for the color scheme is not safe for work. Uh, we are often not safe for work, but we tell you first. Most of the time, we are giving you very long, detailed, critical reviews of romance fiction, and that spans all the different permutations of the genre. We also talk about things that are relevant to romance readers who are mostly women. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. I am used to talking about romance, but I've been doing it for so long, operating on a language binary, mm. because romance is a genre that centers female experience and female heroines and the you know self-actualization of women, which is really important. But how to incorporate that message into multiple expressions of gender is not something that I have linguistically worked out smoothly yet. So when I stutter over this, or if I use too, uh, a too harsh of a binary term, I just want to apologize up front. I am trying to figure out how to say this in a way that makes sense. Um, but what we are talking about most of the time are issues that are relevant and of interest to romance readers who are often mostly women and writing about extremely intimate subjects. So 
because we're talking about sexuality and emotions, vulnerability and relationships, we also talk about things that are very intimate. Otherwise, we talk about sexuality, personal health. Uh, we have a regular uh, column where we talk about uh, sex toys that you can try. Amanda is super great at writing those. She's really wonderful. We also have a podcast. Big ups for podcasting. Yay! And we do daily books on sale. And one of my favorite features is Help a Bitch Out, where if you can remember the name of a book or the, the name of a character and some random scene, but you can't remember the title or the author, the community can find it for you. It's really kind of amazing. They know everything. I love that you do that because oh my god, I so know fun. that uh, I've talked to uh, B and Leah Koch at the Ripped Bodice, and they've talked about these customers who come in and go, "Well, the cover was pink, and the yep. the heroine was named Mary, and I read it 15 years ago. What is that book?" Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, I am that customer because I don't remember words; I just remember the pictures. And I'll be like, she was standing with her back exposed. She had a yellow dress on. I think it was historical because the skirt was really big and something was blue. And and like I, I could just see the glazed, oh gosh, expression on booksellers and librarians' faces. I am that customer. Sorry. But that's why the feature existed because that's all of my brain. And I get I get like dozens of Habbo requests in my inbox. I have solved them on my own like maybe three total times. Maybe. Possibly two. More. Probably two. But yeah, it's it's a it's a rare thrill when you know which one it is. <laughs> now, blogs come and go so much in this genre. Yep. People start them up and then, you know, two, three, five years later they crash. What's kept you going year after year? Because you're in your thirteenth now. Yeah, yes, I had a bat mitzvah. It was pretty great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wrote a devar and everything, and I gave a version of that devar at my synagogue. But I had to edit it because I could not explain to this community of people like what about romance tropes. I was t- I had to like renovate it severely because I would have been like, no, okay, so let me explain my website. Yes, this is the name of it. I'm really sorry, everybody, chill. Um, what keeps me going? I love the community that hangs out with us. Um, I, I don't take myself very seriously at all. You might have noticed. I don't take a lot of things seriously. I do take the community very seriously. And I take the sanctity and the spa- safety of the space and the comment space very seriously. I love that it is a location on the internet where people, <laughs> they say, I don't feel like I need to take a nuclear detox shower after I read the comments. And I'm like, yes, I know. It's so great. That is the part that, that keeps me going, that there are people who continually find the site and say, I had no idea you were here. How have I not known about this? Oh my gosh, I found the people who read the same things I'd read and love the same things I love. And I can't wait to talk about that. So it's the community that keeps me going. And the fact that I haven't read a book yet and thought to myself, I really don't have anything to say about this. I always have something to say about a book that I read and I always want to talk about the books I'm reading. So I'm I'm very fortunate that I get to do that. That's awesome. I love that last little bit that there's always something you want to say about the books you're reading. Always. I, I haven't met a romance novel yet that I didn't want to say something about. That's very cool. What are your favorite tropes? Oh, boy. Here we go. She's, she's got the list ready. Oh, boy. I realized recently that a lot of the origin of the things that I deeply, deeply love can be traced back to the original Beauty and the Beast television show with Ron Perlman. Like, even my favorite... Right, even my favorite piece of classical music, I was re-watching it, and and there's a scene where, like, you know, Vincent is 
sadly in some cavern underneath the New York Philharmonic listening to a symphony because you can't go out in public because he's a beast and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's in this indescribably weirdly massive underground system of caves under Manhattan, which just can't possibly exist. I love, and they're all dressed like they're going to Ren fair. Like I love this show. <laughs> you watch it and you just gotta be like, all right, I'm in. That's fine. I accept all of this. But he's listening to the symphony, and I'm like, that's where I found this piece of music that I love because I saw it on Beauty and the Beast when I was, like, 12, and that's a very formative age. So I love Beauty and the Beast. I love um, I love internal conflict more than external conflict. I'm much more interested in emotional conflict that keeps people apart because of who they are at that moment. Um, and then I love forced proximity that isn't life-threatening. Like, I'm a big fan of it's snowing and we're stuck. Like if you have heat yes, and food, one of my favorites food, ever. I love that. Right? Like it's not like it's not, it's not like there's like grave danger. You have soup, blankets, and somebody cool to talk to. This is great. You just can't leave. Like first proximity by snow is perfection. I love it. So those are some of my favorites. Oh, I also love grumpy, taciturn, caretaking characters of any gender. Like. And and the the thing that always hooks me is I I don't want to like you I don't want to like you oh, I can't think stop stop thinking about your hair damn it <laughs> that's one of my favorites too I can't stop thinking about your hair damn it is like the the the, the perfect trope. Now earlier when you were speaking about um, some of what the website has to offer you mentioned the podcast smart yes. smart bitches uh, uh, smart podcast sorry. trashy books. I always yes. get the name wrong. Uh, okay, we, we are, we are it like five times, so it's not your fault. We are big fans of the show. Uh, I think it's uh, hilarious and informative. What what made you decide to dip your toe into the audio waters? <laughs> I always wanted my own radio show, and I didn't want to be a journalist. <laughs> That's really it. I had an internship with the uh, the L.A. Times during the. 1996 presidential convention or Democratic National Convention in Chicago. And I learned at that point that I didn't want to be a journalist. Like that was not my calling. Um, but I really loved radio. I always loved radio. I thought being on the radio was so great. That's my dog. I apologize. That's Zeb. I love the idea of radio and I always wanted my own radio show. And I thought, well, I'll just do it on my own. And the podcast is actually very old. Our first, our, our first episodes were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we took a hiatus and came back once I figured out how to do it on my own. And I love doing it. I love having my own little radio station broadcast about romance novels. And I love how much I've learned doing it. Like, haven't you, like, just sort of look at all the things you've learned to do and be like, wow, that was impressive. Yeah. And it continues to evolve. Yeah. Yes. There's, a, there's no limit of what you can do with the, with the medium. And I like to say that um, – voice is very intimate. I think a lot of people underestimate that when you are in someone's eardrums and you're talking directly to them about a subject that they're passionate about, that is a very intimate, uh, communicative experience, I think. And especially because I've been recognized for my voice, like I'll talk and somebody will be like, I know that voice, which is really, really weird, but super cool. <laughs> I have learned a lot about how much hearing someone talk to you directly into your eardrums creates a very real connection for listeners. And it's another community that I value very much that people will email me um, about things that I've talked about and share things with me that they just wanted to share with someone who they knew would understand. Even a total stranger is even more sort of liberating and safe. I love that 
you can do so much with the format of a podcast and yet it's still a very fundamental old form of communication. It's still radio. It's a form of radio. It's not being transmitted by radio uh, distribution, but it's still like a, a vocal conversation happening with you or to you. And that's a really old form of broadcast. Like it's so, so cool. I like what you said about being able to hear someone and the impact that has to have oh, yeah. authors on who don't whose primary connection to readers outside of books has tended to be the blog tour. Yes. Now people can hear their authors if they can't get to a place for a signing or a convention or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's tremendous. I think it's, I think it's an excellent tool because, you know, no matter how good a writer you are, text is still static and toneless. Like you, you don't know the inflection of what's being said. You have to do that yourself when you're reading, or at least maybe that's how you read. That's how I read. I hear the things I'm reading. When you get to hear someone talk about their books, it adds a layer of understanding to the text that they've created. And it sort of creates an additional bridge between them and you as the reader. It's, it's so great. Mm -hmm. Now, how have, what have you seen with LGBT romances and how they've evolved since you started the community back in oh, the day? There's been no changes at all. Exactly <laughs> <the same>. nope. <laughs> so a while ago, I was contacted by an RWA chapter who were like, listen, we read your first book, which is Beyond Heaving Bosoms, um, which came out in 2009, 2008. I don't remember the date of my own book. Sorry, but it was, you know, back then. <laughs> And they were like, you wrote this chapter about what you thought was going to happen. And you guys said that the gay romance was going to be a big thing. And then it happened. So we want you to come and make more predictions. And I was like, oh, crap. I got <laughs> lucky. I, was, I don't make predictions. I'm really bad at it. Don't ask me for lottery numbers. <laughs> so I realized when I wrote about that, that anyone who wants to see themselves being the recipient of love and being worthy of love who doesn't see that will find their way into the genre and the genre will find a way to them because the genre is all about showing individuals as loved, right? And, and, and mm -hmm. worthy of being loved, which is like super revolutionary. And I, and I love how people are like, why is romance having a moment? Because it's freaking revolutionary <laughs> to just say everyone gets love. Duh. Like, what? come on. Like we're trying to legislate everything, including that. So just being be able to being able to say, no, this person is absolutely lovable exactly the way they are. That's that's massive. So since we started the community, I mean, that was whew, that was before uh, male male romance and gay romance became such a massive massive community, and now you have all of these different expressions of gender and sexuality being found in the genre. I mean. I look at it the way I look at my own understanding of language. Like four or five years ago, I would not have known what cisgendered meant. It was not a term I encountered. And then I started encountering it all the time and having to Google it over and over because I couldn't quite get it. And then I was like, oh, duh, now I understand. I get it. Yes, thank you for giving me a word for this. We have a language now to describe pieces of sexuality that I would have never have described in 20, 2005. Like it's not only has language evolved, but our understanding of sexuality is, has evolved. So that absolutely finds its way into the romance community as well. And the more we review and discuss books that showcase different ways of people, different ways that people experience life and sexuality and emotions, the better the genre is because there has to be something for everyone. Mm 
and hopefully, and this kind of leads to the diversity question that, that we wanted to talk about too. Diversity with not only race and religion and it certainly encompasses sexual identity and sexual orientation too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And certainly your blog and the podcast have talked a lot about diversity, especially this yeah. past year. Uh, what do you think has gotten such a focus on that in these last 12 to 18 months? I think it's because as a nation over the past, uh, maybe 10 years, maybe a little bit more, we've also developed a language for understanding race and racial differences. I mean, even now, like even right now, it is considered threatening and dangerous to point out that someone is a white person because white was the default. And now we have to examine our defaults for the flaws that they have. Um, that happens with romance. We have to examine literature for the default flaws that it presents towards genre fiction. Like it's it's all about self-examination. So it, if we are going to recognize the ways in which we are unique and singular and powerful, we also have to recognize the, the singular things that make us different because that's not a bad thing. However, much like the, the genre also says, we all have the same emotions and the emotional experiences. Those are those are very similar. You know, falling in love with someone, or feeling attracted to someone, or just being fascinated by somebody's brain. That is something that 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 goes beyond all of these singular boundaries. And those are the things that the genre is writing about. I think diversity needs to happen as a discussion, and inclusivity has to happen as a discussion because. If you take all the books that have ever been published and you put them in one world, so we're building one world out of all the books, that world is so white and straight. And this this really weird Christianity, right? Like it's Christian because they have Christmas. We've got Christmas out the wazoo, but it's not a specific denomination of Christian. It's not Episcopalian. It's not Baptist. It's certainly not Catholic. It's not Methodist. It's this weird sort of bland non-specific Christianity. It's so interesting to me. Like, what is it? What denomination is this? It is the romance denomination of Christianity. Now, my lane is always going to be religious diversity because I want to see more about Jewish experience in romance. Um, the nice thing about staying in your lane, though, is that you do come to intersections, which is great because then you can work with other people to discuss, well, oh, yeah, you, yeah, yes, that should also be represented. The genre needs to better resemble the community of people that reads it and the community of people that write it. As of right now, it doesn't do that enough, so it has to keep evolving in order to survive. That's it. Well said. Thanks. And I think that uh, certainly Suzanne Brockman hit on some of that at her RWA speech, too. Whoa. I was in the very, very back of the room because I had gone to dinner with people. I don't know if you know, have you ever been to a Rita's? There are some dresses and there are some shoes. <laughs> and I was wearing my daytime jeans, like the light, not the dark wash jeans, the light wash. I was wearing my daytime jeans and like flats and a cardigan. And I was, I was not reader, reader ready by a long shot. So I, I came late. I was like, I'll just sit here in the very back corner in the dark. And I'm like in the back and I'm, she starts her speech and you can see this sort of wave of people like being blown back into their chairs, like, whoa, whoa, and it's still coming, whoa! <laughs> like, it was an incredible experience to be in the room. It was incredibly electric. It was really great. And she had an outstanding just delivery. And the fact, I had a lot of admiration for the fact that RWA as an organization knew that she was gonna call them out from stage. Like they knew that, 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 that is, what was going to happen. And I was like, that is really 
really brave to be like, yes, I am not afraid of being examined publicly for the things that we did wrong. Like, whoa, that was incredible too. Yeah. It, it is it is more than past time for people to feel like they are welcome and that they have an opportunity and that they feel safe in the community. And if that can't happen, then we're going to make it happen. What was your first LGBT romance to read? You know, you sent me these questions and I've been like, which one was it? I don't remember. I could probably go find it in the archives, which I probably should have done. But I can remember the earliest experience with a romance that was that was definitely male male was um, Strawberries for Dessert by Marie Sexton. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that is a much older title. And one of the things I loved about it was that you had two men, one of whom was um, very occupying a very traditional profession, very, uh, very much in the closet and very uncomfortable with anything that deviated from traditional and expectations, basically. And then he is set up on this date with this guy who self-describes as a, as a twink. I don't know if that term is out of favor, but he was extremely confident in himself and he was very flamboyant and he gave zero craps. And he was very upset to be set up on this date with this guy who wouldn't stop looking at his phone. And he's like, listen, when you are ready to pay attention to me, you let me know I'm going to leave now. And I was like, whoa, I like these two. These <laughs> because of course, guy number one is like, I can't stop thinking about his hair, damn it. And he has to take the risk of breaking out of this very specific life that he's built for himself. And there's a scene later in the book. Is it okay if I spoil a scene? Is that all right? Of course, yeah. This is, this, is, this is what got me right in my feels. So the second character, and I can't remember names because I'm a terrible human being. He's a wonderful cook and he learns the recipes of, they're together now, of his uh, boyfriend's father's that his late mother made. So he makes the the his boyfriend's late mother's favorite recipes for his father as a gift. And I was just like, oh God. Right. That's really good. <laughs> oh, it was so good. And, you know, you have this guy who's like super not okay with this extremely flamboyant gentleman who is like in the kitchen and what is happening. But then he, he gets to relive the experience of eating the food that someone who loved him would make for him. And I was, I'm going to get teary right now thinking about it. It just, it's another way to express intimacy that I love. It's another trope I love food and romance. Mm-hmm. If you shouldn't read it while hungry, I love all of do you have other favorites that you want to call out for, for folks? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Um, so I am very quietly trying to... Okay. So I Googled strawberries for dessert. And of course, I got a bunch of recipes. <laughs> <laughs> that was dumb. Right. I'm really pleased I at least remember the, the author's name. So it's Jonathan and Cole. My apologies. Cole is arrogant, flamboyant, and not his type. Yes, that is why they should be together. It was a great book. <laughs> All right. So I, now that I feel better that I remembered the names. Um, another book, I was actually talking about this this morning on Twitter. Uh, Sarah, I think it's Dedimer, if I'm saying that wrong. I apologize. The, the Dark Wife, which is a lesbian retelling of Hades and Persephone with Hades as a woman. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and one of my recent favorites that I absolutely love to the point where I did that that silly thing where you take a picture of yourself as the book cover um was Edge of Glory by I think it's Rachel Spangler I want to say it's Rachel I am very bad yeah Rachel Spangler good job brain that is about an Olympic snowboarder and an Olympic skier and they are both sort of at the top age of where they can still compete on a professional level and they're both trying to get into the Olympics again, like one more time. 
and the skier Elise is coming back from a very bad injury and the snowboarder Corey has this really wild reputation and was one of the earliest professional snowboarders um, and that they meet at training camp. And I know that it's a very familiar trope in lesbian romance to have the ice queen. So Elise is a skier. She's like the perfect ice queen. And Corey <laughs> is a snowboarder. She's like super laid back and chill. And like, what is your problem? But she's also got a really unconventional training regimen. And so Elise starts to learn from her training to focus on balance and interruption of your of your path and all this cool stuff. And there's also food in that one. I have a I I, I have a type. I loved that book because the more I thought about it, the more I loved the idea that um, the way that being a professional athlete puts you in touch with your body. And there's there's another book, uh, Roller Girl by Vanessa North, which is about a trans woman. And one of the things I found so great about that book, and I still think about it, um, she in in her old life. I want to make sure I use the right language um, was a professional. I want to say wakeboarder. And so there is a, here is a person and she's talks about working out in her gym with trophies with her dead name all over them, but she won't take them down because she has this incredibly attuned relationship with her body, even though she has transitioned to an entirely new self identity. Um, she has this intimate relationship with her own body because she was an athlete. So she took care of herself on a very you know attentive and intimate level. So the idea of having, someone completely change their body and their identity and their gender, but also have so much knowledge of themselves biologically. It was so interesting. It was this sort of affectionate love of self that I just so enjoyed in that book. I'm going to stop talking about books now. <laughs> but that's why never, we're here. Never. <laughs> so it's not three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Another book I want to tell you about. <laughs> We can spend all day doing this and be very happy about it. All day. I want you to tell me about books because I'm just like, I'm talking a lot. Tell me about the things that you read. <laughs> what do you find in your community that is what brings people in to either MM or FF or some variation of the LGBTQ romances? A lot of the time I think that it is exploration of self. Um, which is why I think it's so important to see characters who are bisexual characters who are um, ace or aromantic or demisexual or just exploring ex expressions of gender. Um, like I said, we have a language for these things now where before there wasn't necessarily a, a clear expression of what that meant or how you how you even described it. I think that when you're looking for uh, ex extensions of yourself and experiences that resonate with you, you're going to look at the books that more closely identify with who you are. I think for a long time, readers of every culture, background, sexuality, and identifier were asked to identify with a very specific archetype. Uh, and it was very straight and it was cisgendered and it was white and it was often in a small town. Sometimes there were some cupcakes and <laughs> or maybe dogs. Dogs are great. But there's this very narrow definition of romance that everyone was sort of expected to identify with, to find themselves in there. And like I said earlier, emotional resonance is, a, is common for every human. We all experience joy and grief and happiness and sorrow and love and excitement. And if you're like me, deeply nerding out about something like these are these are common connections across people. Um, but you shouldn't just have to identify and find yourself in this narrow definition. 
so when you have people who can say, I'm, I am looking for characters who are like this, it's so exciting for me to be able to say, yes, I know what book you read. In fact, here's a list of 10. Sorry. I'm a really expensive person to know. <laughs> you, <laughs> my bad. You, you get to see yourself. Like I said, everyone deserves to see themselves as worthy of love exactly the way they are. And that's what the genre needs to do. So I'm going to keep pushing until it does or until I get tired, you know, whichever one comes first. (laughs) So looking through the rest of this year and into 2019, what do you what do you hope to see on the horizon for LGBTQ romance? Um. More lesbian romance in multiple genre settings, more representations of bisexual, asexual, queer identities, gender fluidity, gender exploration. I want to see more of that. Um, I am the parent of two boys. They are, hang on, one of them just had a birthday, 11 and almost 13. My 13-year-old had a friend of his, I'm trying to make sure I get him as vague as possible. My 13-year-old had a friend of his come out to him in fourth grade. And this is not new to individuals who identified their sexuality. There was a committee meeting at uh, the elementary school last year when my younger son was in fifth grade because they were going to start doing the sexual education curriculum for the state and the county. And they wanted parents to get involved. So I was like, okay, I hate committees. I don't like being in rooms with groups of people. I hate going around in a circle and introducing myself. I'm very introverted and I don't, I don't like any of this. I'm allergic to task forces, right? No. (laughs) But I was like, I'm doing this because I want to be there to head off any parents that are like, you can't teach children about sex. Like, okay, I'm, I'm there to shoot that down. So I go in and it is all parents who are like, what more can we do? What else is there? This isn't enough. And so it became a teacher-parent conversation of here are the limitations of the curriculum. And one of the limitations of the curriculum was there is no discussion of sexuality. But one of the teachers in that grade is openly gay. And I was like, but but kids at this age know. Like, my son had someone come out to him in fourth grade. This is fifth grade. Kids know, especially now that there's like a language for this. And he's like, oh, of course. I knew when I was in third grade. But that's not something we can teach. And I was like, okay, so... I guess I got to talk to the Capitol because we need to extend this curriculum. When you have people who are growing up with a language to express themselves and who they are in so many very specific ways, um, the genre fiction and the entertainment that they experience needs to reflect that accurately. So the only thing I can absolutely predict and demand is that I want more, more of everything. More of every letter that how many how many letters are there now? Like L G B T Q I A plus plus Enye? plus yeah. Who, who calls who gets the Enye? I want Enye. Tilde uh, umlauts. You need umlauts. <laughs> the little C with the curl underneath the schwa. That too. Like however long that chain of letters gets, that all needs to be there. So the more of it that there is, and the more diversity in in culture that there is in every part of the genre, the better it is. Because otherwise, the genre is in trouble, and I'm not here for that. Sarah, I wanted to ask you about something. I think I've I've personally seen that the uh, gay romance genre has um, certainly come to the attention, it seems, of the big five publishers, uh, especially in the last year where we've seen more and more. Not a whole lot, but more and more. Do yep. you see that as a... I hate to use the word trend with air quotes. Do you see that as a trend that's continuing into 2019? Um, 
Absolutely. Yes. I think there's uh, there's fads, there's trends and there's necessary changes. And mm -hmm. when you what you want is for a trend like this to become part of the necessary change. Mm -hmm. uh, like, for example, zombie romance was a fad. Yeah. And uh, romance featuring queer characters is, is is its own like necessary change. So, yes, absolutely. I see more of that. And I think that um, one of the things that I would hope is that there's more available for readers um, in every possible location where they find books. So not just digitally, but also in print. Like I'm really excited that that Dream Spinner has a print program. Like that's so great. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that stores will pick them up. Like that would be great. And libraries too. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've lived in places with excellent public library systems, but I know some library systems are very much averse to featuring queer romance. And um, gosh, even this weekend there was a, letter being composed by a writer named Julie Cohen about a library who'd received complaints about their gay romance display as, as being like left leaning political, bad for people, crap, whatever. I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I don't speak bigot as frequently as I probably should, but I don't. She's like, I need to email the library and let them know that they should, that this librarian didn't do anything wrong and they should have this, this, this display. Um, that is another benefit to more publishers entering queer romance that that they will be put in more libraries. Mm -hmm. And there's so much wrong with the way that books are distributed and who has access to what. Like, I can't fix that myself. But more and access, good, basically. And that was my math. That's all the math I can do. More access, good. And we should point out, we should have done this back when we talked about diversity a little bit. Your stance on Hanukkah led you to write your own romance. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I um I was asked about it by a very old much older gentleman in my synagogue this week and he's like, "So, can you recommend a romance for me?" And I was like, "Wow, well, I was not prepared for that question." Sir, I need coffee first. Um and then I told him about all the Jewish romances that I knew of and he's like, "I got to go get my wife. Hang on." And they're like probably in their 80s. That's so I have a very firm rule that I don't complain about something three times. I either have to do something about it or I have to stop complaining, but I can't complain about something. And every year around about October, all the Christmas romance starts showing up for review. And I was like, there's, it's, it, uh, it's eight days. There's candles and fried food. This is hella romantic people. What the hell? <laughs> I was like, all right, that's it. I have to write a, write a Hanukkah romance. So I ended up writing, self-publishing a, a Hanukkah romance called Lighting the Flames. It takes place at a Jewish summer camp in the winter. I used to work in overnight Jewish summer camping. My kids go to camp. My husband and I met in high school but got together at a camp. So camp is like the thing that our family does. So I self-published it in December of 2014, and I'm really very proud of it. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll stick that in the show notes with everything else, so people can at least go check that out. Write the write an MM version of it. <laughs> Ooh, I am. I was thinking about like, do I want to write a sequel? Do I want to write something that's set in the summer at the same camp? Yeah, that could be interesting. Well, you know, Jay, who runs Joyfully Jay, she also is on the constant lookout for Hanukkah stories. I know she lives near me. We we meet for we meet for uh, giant sandwiches and potato chips. It's great. That sounds awesome. We need to move to Maryland. Come <laughs> visit. I will take you out. It's so great. 
Uh, Sarah, it has been awesome talking to you and, and getting your Thank perspective you on all me. this. Thank you so much for having me. We're so thankful that Sarah took some time out of her incredibly busy schedule to talk to us about romance. Um, if you haven't checked out the blog, Smart Bitches, please do so. Uh, and if you enjoy our podcast, I have a sneaking suspicion you might like hers as well. So mm-hmm. be sure and check out Smart Podcast Trashy Books. Yeah, for sure. Very glad you could talk to us for a few minutes. I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Now, coming up in next week's show for episode 156, we'll have Victoria Sue here. She's going to take us inside her Enhanced World series. Uh, I read the first book in that series a few weeks back and totally loved it. Her third book is coming out soon, so she's going to talk to us all about that. Cool. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next week, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.